This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is personal goals and helping others. In the first half, Elder Joe J. Christensen, 70 at the time of this talk, shares his devotional address, Resolutions. Then in the second half, we'll hear Thomas Stone representing his graduating class at commencement, Let's Not Leave Johnny Behind. Here's Elder Christensen. Brothers and sisters, it's impressive to know that on an occasion like this, with all the other places you could be, and all the other things you could be doing with your time, you've chosen to be here in a church-related setting. That tells me a lot about the kinds of good decisions you're making in your lives. You're going in the right direction, and if you continue choosing the right, as we sang together, you will arrive at a destination that will be good for you now and in the hereafter. For me, it is a humbling experience to be with you because there are among you some of the most impressive spiritual heroes we know. Barbara and I have learned to know about you and to know many of you because almost wherever we go, we meet people we had the privilege of seeing or knowing someplace before. That reminds me of the experience of a father saying to me, Say, you were president of the MTC when our son was there. Did you know him? He told me his full name and after thinking for a few moments, I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't know him. And he said, oh, thank heavens. <laughs> I'd like to speak to you tonight very personally. What a blessing it would be to have the privilege of visiting with each of you one-on-one -on -one and get acquainted with you individually, to know of your background, your interests, aspirations, and concerns. Of all the young people I've met over the years, I've not met one who did not want to be happy and successful. To a degree, we all know the gospel and what we should be doing in our lives. Very likely we know them better than we apply. Isn't that right? It may be a little like the young county farm agent who wanted to put his college training to use and said to the farmer, Sam, you know that now we use something called contour plowing. And then he went on to expand on the benefits of hybrid strains of grain, crop rotation. And about the time he got to the benefits of milking the cows three times a day rather than two, the farmer said, hey, Sonny, just, just a minute. I'm not farming half as well now as I know how. Isn't that the way life is? None of us is performing as well as we really know how because it is hard to farm or perform as well as we know how, and that brings me to the subject of this evening. I'd like to visit with you about resolutions, resolutions to conform our lives more closely to what we already know about the gospel. I'm sure that some of us have made a bundle of New Year's resolutions, and maybe a few of us haven't chosen to make any, because in prior years we've had problems keeping them. Don't overlook the power that making good resolutions can have to help make your life happier and more successful, regardless of your past behavior. Let's explore for a moment the term resolution. As a noun, it suggests steadfastness of purpose. As an adjective, resolute is characterized by firmness or determination. As a verb, resolve brings to mind such terms as courage, mettle, fortitude, tenacity, backbone, and moral stamina in the face of hardship, temptations, and unfavorable odds. 
I was anxious to know something of your concerns and aspirations, so I had an informal survey taken of 150 young adults who were asked to list three resolutions they felt would help them to become more successful and happy during the new year. Almost everyone in the survey included a resolution to increase the level of his or her spirituality. Two out of three indicated they would like to improve their social skills. Half indicated a desire to increase their level of physical fitness, and half wanted to grow intellectually. Everyone indicated a desire to improve. After all, self-improvement is at the heart of why we are here in mortality. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Savior said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in, which is in heaven is perfect. In the Joseph Smith translation we read, Ye therefore, ye are therefore commanded to be perfect. The translation of the Greek word for perfect means complete, finished, fully developed. Some biblical analysts indicate that the suggestion to become perfect is exaggerated idealism or scriptural hyperbole. That is not the way we as Latter-day Saints interpret it. We believe that the Savior meant what he said and that for us, becoming like our Father in heaven and the Savior is a commandment, not just a suggestion. We should strive continually to become more like them. You remember that following his resurrection, the Savior rhetorically asked his disciples, What manner of men ought ye to be? He then answered his own question, Even as I am. There's only one verse of Scripture in the entire New Testament that tells us what the Savior did to develop himself during his mortal years, from age 12 and his experience in the temple until he began his formal ministry at age 30. The verse consists of just 14 words. Count them. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. In other words, the Savior increased or developed in the same areas that those of you who were included in the poll indicated that you would like to improve. That is, intellectually, in wisdom and knowledge, physically, in stature, socially, in favor with man, and spiritually, in favor with God. I'm convinced that if we made and kept these four or these resolutions in the four areas, we would have a happier and more successful new year and every year for the rest of our lives. First, consider this as a suggested resolution. I resolve to expand my intellectual horizons. I will increase in wisdom. This year, commit yourself to read good books, not just when you are attending the university or college, but throughout your life. Some people learn to read but don't read. A few years ago, a disturbing poll indicated that 56% of college graduates in that sample never completely read a book all the way through following their schooling. At some point in our lives, we learn to read. But the question tonight is, are we reading? Are we growing in wisdom? We belong to a lay church, as we believe the church was in the Savior's time when he called humble fishermen or tax collectors to be his designated leaders. We do not have a professional, theologically trained and salaried clergy. Leaders and teachers are called from among the membership, people like you and me. 
In terms of learning, however, the scriptural commandment to us is, Seek ye out of the best books, words of wisdom, and become acquainted with all good books and with languages, tongues, and people. Close quote. Notice the emphasis on best books and good books. What we choose to read will make a huge difference in the development of our minds and character. We cannot justify mentally shifting into neutral and failing to exert our efforts to make progress intellectually. Way back in 1838, a member of the First Presidency addressed a group of relatively new members of the Church, in which some apparently thought that all they had to do was to be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then just sit back and wait to receive the celestial glory. He said, Vain are the hopes of those who embrace the gospel and then suppose that they have nothing more to do. The great God never thought of raising up a society of ignoramuses, but men and women of intelligence as high as human nature was susceptible." Close quote. So whether or not you're in school, the challenge is the same. We should continue learning throughout our entire lives and especially learning more about the gospel. Now with the Enhanced Institute of Religion program, all of you can and should resolve to be enrolled in a religion class every term, whether or not you are a college student. In the area of continued learning, my father-in-law was a real inspiration to me. He was the twelfth of thirteen children of a very poor convert immigrant family from Switzerland. After he had finished his first six years of elementary school, he, like many others in his time, was encouraged to drop out of school and learn a trade. Then one day he met Mr. Hicks, the new school teacher who had come to Midway. He asked, Albert, are you coming to school this year? Albert explained that he was not planning to come back to school. Mr. Hicks said, well, why don't you come for three or four days and see how you like it? Albert came, and his future life was dramatically changed for the better. He said that this new teacher didn't just answer the questions that were raised in class, but he would write on the chalkboard the titles of books where they could find the answers. A thirst for learning developed in Albert that was never quenched. He was a hard-working farmer, providing for a large family. But when I came to know him, I hardly remember his being in the house without having a book, usually a thick book, in his work-worn hands. He would circle words he didn't know and write their definitions in the margins. He was a real student of history and the doctrine of the Church, although he never had the opportunity to go beyond the eighth grade. He read much more than most college graduates. He not only learned to read, he read. Suppose you were to read an entire book each week for the next 70 years. You would read 3,640 books. That sounds like a lot. However, reportedly, there are today in the Library of Congress more than 27 million books. One futurist, Toffler, said that books are spewing from the presses of the world at the rate of a thousand titles per day. That means that in 70 years there will be an additional 25 million volumes. If we read continually, we would not be able to read more than the smallest fraction of the books in print. We should not waste time reading anything but that which would be uplifting 
and instructive. There's a lot of frivolous, useless, and morally destructive literature in print that falls far short of that which we should spend even a minute of our time. Remember the scripture said, Seek ye out of the best books. Paxton Hood said, Be as careful of the books you read as of the company you keep, for your habits and character will be as much influenced by the former as by the latter. Close quote. Here's a practical suggestion. Ask a few respected people who you know are readers to share with you the titles of the five books outside of the scriptures they feel have had the most positive influence in their lives. You'll soon accumulate a good list of titles for starters. In addition to making a resolution that we will read only the best in print, it would be very beneficial if now we resolve not to watch even one R or X-rated, I think they call it NC-17, movie, video, or television show from now on. That may seem extreme to some of you, but I assure you that much of our future happiness and success depends on it. There is safety in following the prophet. President Benson has said, Consider carefully the words of the prophet Alma to his errant and promiscuous son, Corianton. Forsake your sins and go no more after the lusts of your eyes. President Benson continued, The lusts of your eyes. In our day, what does that expression mean? He said, Movies, television, programs, and video recordings that are both suggestive and lewd, magazines and books that are obscene and pornographic. We counsel you not to pollute your minds with such degrading matter, for the mind through which this filth passes is never the same afterward. He continued, Don't see R-rated movies or vulgar videos or participate in any entertainment that is immoral, suggestive, or pornographic. Close quote. In our day, this is one of the most effective tools Satan has to pacify and lull us into carnal security, cheat our souls, and lead us carefully down to hell. Senator Robert Byrd said, If we in this nation continue to sow the images of murder, violence, drug abuse, perversion, and pornography before the eyes of millions, year after year and day after day, we should not be surprised if the foundations of our society rot away as if by leprosy." Close quote. Well, now for resolution number two. I will be resolute in preserving and strengthening my physical health. It is impressive that more than 160 years ago the Lord revealed the health code that we call the Word of Wisdom. That can make all the difference in how we feel and perform. With good health, we can be happier and more successful. Without it, we are curtailed in almost every other way. Resolve now to get an adequately balanced diet. Getting healthy nutrition is another area where it's hard to perform up to the level of our knowledge. Some friends of ours were having that last final parental review that most of you as missionaries got before entering the MTC. The mother said, Now, Bronson, you have your toothbrush and pajamas? Yes, Mom, he answered patiently. You remember how to iron a shirt? Be sure to put the cloth between the iron and your suit pants when you press them. 
Yes, Mom, but we better get her get going. We're going to be late. Okay, son, before we leave, just repeat back to me one more time the four basic food groups. <laughs> sure, Mom, he said. The four basic food groups for prospective missionaries are peanut butter, hostess chocolate cupcakes and Twinkies, chocolate milk, and ramen noodles. Well, if this uh, young man had continued with that philosophy on food, he, he could have ended up like a good friend of mine. His wife had been encouraging him to take off some weight. She said, Bill, there are 50 pounds of you that I'm not sealed to. <clears throat> well, Bronson, Bronson did finish a good mission and must have learned some additional nutritional habits because from all we know, he has been able to keep his health. In fact, I understand he's somewhere in the audience tonight. Resolve now to follow the do's in the word of wisdom. Eat plenty of fresh fruits, vegetables, and grains. Discover that a meal doesn't have to, have to feature the meat dish every time in order to be enjoyable. In addition to improving your health, your budget will also be benefited. It really is one of those win-win situations. Then, resolve to avoid completely the don'ts. Tobacco, alcohol, and addictive stimulants, coffee, tea, and drugs in any form, and you'll be blessed in a multitude of ways. If any of these negative practices have been or are a part of your life right now tonight, resolve that, that in your future, there will be absolutely no participation in tobacco, alcohol, or illegal drugs ever. What an improved society we would live in if the whole world were to make and keep just that one resolution. Next, resolve to get adequate physical exercise. Choose some sport or vigorous physical exercise that is consistent with your situation and physical condition and be regular in pursuing it. Get the blood circulating and give your major muscles a workout. An appropriate amount of time and effort spent in exercising will help you be more effective in all other areas of your life. I don't know what your choice will be. Personally, I, I prefer racquetball or walking to jogging. I haven't seen many joggers that look very happy while they're doing it. <laughs> of course, you need to make your own choice but resolve to do something physical regularly. Resolve to get adequate rest. Really follow the counsel of the Lord where he said, Cease to sleep longer than is needful. Retire to thy bed early, that ye may not be weary. Arise early, that your bodies and your minds may be invigorated. Close quote. Some of you are not getting the rest that you need. Some are habituated to going to bed late and sleeping much longer than your system really needs, and thus missing out on some of the personal inspiration you could be receiving. Adequately rested, there is great value that can come to you as an early riser, believe it or not. Years ago, Barbara and I were asked to drive President and Sister Marion G. Romney from Provo to their home in Salt Lake City. Along the way, President Romney shared some of his personal experiences when he was first called to serve as a general authority, way back in 1941, he had been serving as a stake president at the time and had gone to general conference where he was called, without prior knowledge, to be a general authority. 
He was shocked and very nervous. He felt that he needed some advice, and so he went to Elder Harold B. Lee, a new member of the Quorum of the Twelve at that time and former associate as a stake president. He asked him for advice about how to be successful as a general authority. Elder Lee said, If you are to be successful as a general authority, I'll give you one piece of advice. Go to bed early and get up early. If you do, your body and mind will become rested, and then in the quiet of those early morning hours, you will receive more flashes of inspiration and insight than at any other time of the day. President Romney said, From that day on, I put that counsel into practice, and I know it works. Whenever I have a serious problem or some assignment of a creative nature with which I hope to receive the influence of the Spirit, I always receive more assistance in the early morning hours than at any other time of the day. Following that counsel has helped me a great deal through the years. Close quote. You can have a similar experience in your own life. You can change even if you consider yourself to be a night person. Set the habit in 21 days. When it comes right down to it, it's a matter of strong resolve and mind over mattress. Now, <clears throat> now to the third resolve. I resolve to be a truer friend and to become more socially acceptable to people of high standards. Learn to be the kind of person with whom others of high standards enjoy associating. We all would like to have more friends. More than 50 years ago, Dale Carnegie wrote the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. In it, he listed some time-honored principles for making friends. You should read and reread the entire book. His suggestions are equally valuable today. Among them are become genuinely interested in other people. Smile. Remember the Lord commanded, commanded us to be of good cheer. Remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Talk in terms of other people's interests. Make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. Close quote. Occasionally, we ought to look in a full-length mirror. Certainly, we should not become obsessed with how we look, but we should work to improve our physical appearance. President Kimball said, How nice and easy it would be if we had a magic wand, but we haven't. You might take a careful inventory of your habits, your speech, your appearance, your weight, and your eccentricities. Take each item and analyze it. What do you like in others? What personality traits please you in others? Are your dresses too short, too long, too revealing, too old-fashioned? Does your weight drive off possible suitors? Do you laugh raucously? Are you too selfish? Are you interested only in your, your own interest? Close quote. The Lord expects us to do the best we can with what He has given us. President McKay said, Even a barn looks better when it's painted. <laughs> After, I don't know that President McKay got quite that response when he said that, but. <clears throat> After you've done what you can to improve your appearance, 
A good suggestion is to forget about yourself and think of others and their needs. Rather than working so hard to find Mr. or Miss Wright, work harder to become Mr. or Miss Wright, and you will more likely have the social life and marriage that you desire. You'll have good friends, and in the end, hopefully, you can be fortunate enough to marry your best friend. In the New Testament, Jesus said to his disciples, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Close quote. Our challenge is to resolve to love everyone in the appropriate way. You all know there are different kinds of love, the romantic, brotherly, and the kind that enables us to love our enemies. The Savior universally commanded us to love our enemies and, and our neighbors universally. On the other hand, the expression of romantic love is anything but a universal commandment. The full expression of romantic physical affection by you is designed for you and one other person only inside the bonds of marriage. If you remember that, then you will avoid the temptation to make the romantic expressions of physical affection merely a game, and you'll be sure to protect yourself from the immense problems that come from the immorality that is so prominent in today's culture. You've all heard so many times that your body is a temple and not a visitor center. No, no tours are permitted. <clears throat> Finally, the fourth resolve mentioned by everyone in the poll is this one. I will grow spiritually. I will increase in favor with God. In order to grow spiritually, there are a few items that are essential. <clears throat> Let's start with the most difficult and universally applicable to us all. If we are to increase in favor with God, we must resolve to overcome as much as possible the sin of human pride. President Benson and others maintain that pride is the universal sin. That means that every one of us, to one degree or another, suffers from the problem. No one of us is completely free from its effects. But we must do all in our power to overcome its influence. Pride creeps up on us because as human beings we have a remarkable capacity to fall under its influence even when we think we're in the safest of religious settings. I remember reading about the Sunday school teacher who gave her class that great scriptural lesson on the proud Pharisee who had thanked the Lord that he was not like that sinner, the publican, who knew he was a sinner and who prayed for forgiveness. Jesus said the publican went home to his home more justified than the Pharisee. Then the Sunday school teacher suggested to her class that they should all go home and thank God that they're not like that Pharisee. Did you follow them? <laughs> Another story relates that a Carthusian monk explaining to an inquirer about the distinctive features of his monastic order said, when it comes to good works, we don't match the Benedictines. And as to preaching, 
We're not in a class with the Dominicans. The Jesuits are way out ahead of us in learning. But in the matter of humility, we're tops. In church callings, there can even be danger. We may fall into the trap of aspiring to some position or another. That would be almost like praying, Father, I want to serve. Use me in an executive position. (laughs) Remember that even the greatest of all, our Savior and Redeemer and the Creator of worlds without number, set the example of humble service by kneeling and washing His disciples' feet. Where we serve doesn't matter. How we serve matters a great deal. Pride causes us to become overly concerned as we compare ourselves with others about how intelligent we think we are, the brand of our jeans or other clothing, the costly apparel we wear, to what organizations we belong, on which side of town we live, how much money we have, what race or nationality, what kind of car we drive, even to what church we belong, or how much education we've been privileged to acquire, and on and on and on. In the scriptures there are many indications that pride has risen to destroy individuals, nations, and in some cases even the church itself. Remember in 3 Nephi where where we read, And they began again to prosper and to wax great. And now there was nothing in all the land to hinder the people from prospering continually, except they should fall into transgression. And it came to pass that there were many cities built anew, and there were many old cities repaired, a real urban renewal program. And, And there were many highways cast up, which led from city to city and from land to land, I suppose some sort of an interstate highway system. But it came to pass there began to be some disputings among the people, and some were lifted up under pride and boastings because of their exceedingly great riches, yea, even unto great persecutions. For there were many merchants in the land, you business majors, and also many lawyers and many officers Apparently a real stratified society developed, for we read, And the people began to be distinguished by ranks according to their riches and their chances for learning. Yea, some were ignorant because of their poverty, and others did receive great learning because of their riches. Some were lifted up in pride, and thus there became a great inequality in all the land, insomuch that the church began to be broken up. Close quote. Someone calculated that no less than 30 times throughout the Book of Mormon the cycles of prosperity and peace were destroyed principally by the effects of human pride. Your opportunities, your relative prosperity, and our stratified society make overcoming inappropriate pride a genuine challenge. Your cup of advantages is very full, and as the English proverb states, A full cup must be carried steadily. Some years ago, just after finishing graduate school, I was visiting with an acquaintance. He was much older than I, probably twice my years. Earlier in his career, he had gone back east to a major university and received some graduate training from a few of the then-known scholars in his field. 
In the course of our conversation, my friend was critical of the leaders of the Church and some of the policies that he felt should long since have been changed. Then he said the words that still ring in my memory. You see, Joe, I am an intellectual. In my experience, the genuine intellectual doesn't need to announce it. Since that time, he spent his life on the fringe, speaking, writing, and associating with those who felt they knew more than the designated leaders of the Church. These negative and critical attitudes affected his wife, some of their children, and on to the grandchildren. In my mind, he seemed to become an incarnation of the type of individual who had not heeded the warning Nephi gave when he said, Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one! Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men! When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. Close quote. It seemed that he permitted himself to be trapped by the sin of pride. We all face the same challenge, and succumbing to it could also cause us to perish spiritually. An insightful man, Robert J. McCracken, wrote, If we make a listing of our sins, pride is the one that heads the list, breeds all the rest, and does more to estrange us from our neighbors or from God than any evil we can commit. In this aspect, it is not only the worst of the seven deadly sins, it is the parent sin, the one that leads to every other, the sin from which no one is free, pride of rank, the delight taken in status, recognition, honors, in being at the head of the table, the top of the line, pride of intellect, the arrogance that thinks it knows more than it does, forgets the finiteness of the human mind, talks of morons, smiles at the cultural crudity of contemporaries, and needs to be told what Madame Folk said to one of her sons who was boasting about having won a school prize. Cleverness, which has to be mentioned, does not exist. Pride of power, the passion to achieve it, to wield more of it, to feel superior to others, to give orders with a strident voice and move men about like pawns on a chessboard." You will read from the scriptures daily. President Benson has emphasized repeatedly that we should include some reading every day from the Book of Mormon. It really is another testament that Jesus is the, the Christ. Within its pages, some scholars have counted that there are 3,925 references to the Savior. It has been calculated that on average every 1.7 verses in the Book of Mormon, one reads something about Jesus. Even slow readers can read two pages in ten minutes or less. If we started each January 1st reading just two pages of the Book of Mormon each day, by the time we come to September, we will have finished another reading. Then we can start over and continue, as Nephi said, to feast on the words of Christ. If you don't think you can handle two pages a day, do as a friend of mine suggests.
try 15 seconds at least. At least one verse. Every decision of your life could be more inspired if we were to do this consistently. Next, resolve really to pray and not just say prayers. There's a big difference. Learn to pour out the real in-depth feelings of your heart to your Heavenly Father rather than merely going through the form of saying about exactly the same trite words and phrases that you become accustomed to use. Remember that if we don't feel like praying, as President Brigham Young said, that is the time to pray until we do feel like it. I remember the experience of one bright missionary who came to the MTC to begin learning Spanish. He had one major problem. He could not trill an R. His language... His tongue just didn't work that way. And you can't learn Spanish well without trilling R's. He worked, struggled, and prayed. A week before leaving the MTC, he had conquered his problem and triumphantly wrote a letter to his parents, and the entire first page was just straight R's. <laughs> he said that if he had learned, hadn't learned another thing in his entire mission than to humble himself and how really to pray, the whole experience would have been worth it. Many of you brethren and some of you sisters have already been on full-time missions. For all of you single young men who haven't, resolve now that you will prepare yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, and morally to serve as a full-time missionary. There is no other experience in which you will grow spiritually more effectively and efficiently than you will while serving a full-time mission. If an elder follows the schedule, in two years he will receive more than 7,000 hours of specialized instruction in the scriptures, the basic principles of the gospel and how to teach them, how to relate to members, non-members, even companions. If we attended the three-hour block of meetings every Sunday, it would take us over 46 years to accumulate 7,000 hours of instruction. You brethren have that responsibility, and some of you sisters will have that opportunity. Next, if you are really serious about growing spiritually, then remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The scripture tells us that six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Permit me to share a personal experience that I think helped change my life for the better. Following my mission, I was enrolled at BYU in my first semester home. The study requirements seemed to me to be stringent. I had an advanced course with a very demanding professor. The class met Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, first period, 8 a.m. in the morning at that time. Every Monday morning, there was always a detailed examination on the assigned material. The competition was keen, and I was highly motivated to do well. Following attending my Sunday meetings, I started a practice to study during the afternoon in preparation for what I knew would come on Monday morning. On one of those afternoons, another return missionary roommate observed that what I was doing. He said, Say, Joe, are, are you a Mormon? Do you really believe in keeping the commandments? My answer was obvious, sure. Then how about six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work? 
I got the message. And from that time on, I changed. I began to do a better job of organizing my study time during the six days of the week, and sometimes I found that I needed to get up very early on Monday morning, and I mean very early, <laughs> in order to finish an assignment or preparation. There was less procrastination in my life, and so it continued through graduate school. I knew that I should get it done during the week. I couldn't let myself get behind. I found that I felt better about myself and even noticed that my grades improved. I began to look forward to the change of pace that Sunday provided to take time to turn to things that were more spiritual. Now, I agree that there is some essential work that must be done on the Sabbath, and occasionally the ox does get in the mire. But usually, through our poor organization or procrastination, we may give the ox a little nudge. Temptations to break the Sabbath are even greater now than they used to be. Television is a challenge. I love football, basketball, and about any athletic event. It doesn't matter who is playing whom. Barbara said, Joe, I don't understand you. It doesn't matter who is playing. Mars could be playing Jupiter and you'd be interested. I assured her that if Mars were playing Jupiter, I'd really be interested. <laughs> As you know, some of the best games are televised on Sunday, and whether it is Super Bowl or not, the temptation is great. There are probably several within the sound of my voice who justify regularly spending hours on Sunday in front of the tube watching the plays, replays, and listening to the almost endless post-game commentary. Or maybe for you it's justifying yourself reading, or rather watching, other shows on Sunday that are anything but spiritually uplifting. I've discovered that we can take advantage of technology. You who have them can simply use the VCR to record the programs you don't want to miss on Sunday, and then in a fraction of the time on another day, at your own convenience, you can watch the special event, fast forward through the commercials, the timeouts, so on, and not miss a thing. After you've attended your meetings and other church duties, you don't have to sit and fold your hands on Sunday. It's not a day for grubbies, but there are many things you can do that can make the day special. Choose from among the following suggestions. Add a few of your own. But these suggestions from President Kimball, who said, As we plan our Sunday activities, set aside time for meditation service to others, read the scriptures, conference reports, and church publications, study the lives and teachings of the prophets, prepare church lessons and other church assignments. For example, study for your religion class, write or visit relatives and friends, write to missionaries, enjoy uplifting music, read to a child, do family history research, your own personal histories, sing church hymns, read uplifting literature, develop appreciation for the cultural arts friendship non-members, visit the sick, the aged, and the lonely." Unquote. Make Sundays special, and they will help make you special in the sight of the Lord. Who was it that said, It is not so much that the Jews kept the Sabbath, but rather over the centuries the Sabbath kept the Jews. Keeping the Lord's day holy will do the same for you. Well, now, as 
One brother said, I've spoken about as long as it seems. Pick up on that a little bit. <laughs> and as King Lewis, uh, King, the king said in Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, he gave this advice, begin at the beginning and go on till the end. And when you come to the end, stop. Well, we've come to that point. It will take energy and effort to keep the resolutions about which we've spoken this evening. I pray that we'll do this so that every one of us can increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And in so doing, we will become more like the Savior every day for the rest of our lives. You have my sincere respect, confidence, trust, and love. I've never known more surely than now that Jesus is the Christ. He is our exemplar. He lives as does our Father in heaven. We're commanded to become more like them. And if we make and keep good resolutions, we will become happier and more successful. For that I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is personal goals and helping others. We've just heard from Elder Joe J. Christensen. After the break, we'll return with Thomas Stone for Let's Not Leave Johnny Behind. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today's theme is personal goals and helping others. Now Thomas J. Stone representing his graduating class at 2017 commencement with Let's Not Leave Johnny Behind. Attending BYU has been a privilege and has taught us many practical lessons that will guide us in the coming years. One such lesson is to never give up which we learned from our daily ascent up the RB stairs. (laughs) Or perhaps watching the city of Provo as it meticulously paves and repaves every street in town. (laughs) Another lesson we have learned is to obey with exactness, which the BYU parking police have so gently taught us over the years. (laughs) Finally, Taking classes in the winding JKB has prepared us to navigate our way through the ambiguous, multidimensional parts of our lives. (laughs) Above all, our time at BYU has taught us to lift and serve others. I witnessed one such act of service this past September when I flew to Cozumel, Mexico as a member of Team USA to compete in the Triathlon Age Group World Championships. While I was there, all three medalists from the 2016 Rio Olympic Games competed for the $30,000 grand prize in the men's elite category. Two of the triathletes, Alistair and Jonathan Brownlee, were brothers from Great Britain who won the gold and silver medals in the triathlon at the 2016 Olympics. In Cozumel, when the competitors neared the end of the grueling, nearly two-hour race, Jonathan Brownlee held a comfortable lead, with his brother Alistair trailing him and Henry Schumann from South Africa close behind. 
Video footage of the race shows that with 500 meters to go until the finish line, just as the crowd erupted in applause, as Jonathan rounded the final corner, the heat began to take its toll upon Jonathan's body. All of a sudden, Jonathan's pace slowed to a stumble. His eyes rolled to the back of his head, and he collapsed onto a volunteer standing by the sidelines. There was an audible gasp among the spectators. When Alistair rounded the final corner, he saw his dangerously dehydrated younger brother, unable to finish the race. Without hesitation, Alistair ran toward Johnny, threw his dazed brother's arm around his neck, and half carried him as they ran the last 500 meters side by side. Alistair's deviation cost him first place, allowing Schumann to overtake the two and be first to break the tape. As the brothers approached the finish line, Alistair pushed Johnny across ahead of him, earning them second and third places, respectively. Alistair was half a kilometer from winning gold as a world champion, yet, rather than race to the end to claim victory for himself, he slowed, picked up his brother, and enabled Johnny to do something he could not do for himself, finish the race. Reporters swarmed Alistair, incredulous at his noble sacrifice. To their queries, he simply replied, Mum wouldn't have been happy if I'd left Johnny behind. <laughs> Just as Alistair's mother instilled within him a sense of integrity and moral character, our time at Brigham Young University has taught us how to learn and how to serve. So here we are at the starting line, Today's graduation ceremony marks our own plunge into the race of life as college graduates. There will most likely be times in this race when we, too, will be forced to make the decision between helping someone else or getting ahead. Our brother or sister may not literally drop down in front of us, but there will be, and certainly are, people in our lives right now who feel like they are falling down within. Just as Alistair sacrificed to stop and help his brother, we can and should make sacrifices in our own lives to help those who are struggling along the way. Our diplomas can serve as a reminder that where much is given, much is required, because some races are simply worth finishing together. As we graduate and go out into the world searching for purpose in our careers and our families, let us remember the poignant words of Charles Dickens, who once wrote, No one is useless in this world, who lightens the burdens of others. So, let's not leave Johnny behind. Let's dare to be kind when others run by. Let's lift those around us without hesitation. I know that if we do so, we will cross the finish line together and make our mums proud. Thank you and congratulations, class of 2017. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was personal goals and helping others with thoughts from Elder Joe J. Christensen and Thomas J. Stone. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.